Welcome back to Brain to Blaze, a weekly podcast about epilepsy, by epileptics, for epileptics, and our caretakers. I'm your host, David Clifford. In this episode, we talk about the best ways to adapt to an epilepsy diagnosis and how moving forward is really the only option. If you're new to Brain to Blaze, I just want to state that I'm not a medical expert. I'm just someone that has struggled with the ins and outs of epilepsy for almost three decades. There is no global cure for epilepsy. All one can really hope to attain is to be seizure-free. For most people, their epilepsy can be managed with medication so they don't have seizures for long stretches of time, for example, months or even years. However, there are some of us that have intractable epilepsy, or epilepsy that cannot be managed by medication. While the ultimate goal of a person with epilepsy is to be seizure-free, what if I told you there's another way to have the life that you want? Even if you have tonic-clonic seizures every day, I can guarantee you that you can have the life you want but it's just going to take that much more work to get it. Here's the way I see it, Ted. Guy puts a fancy guarantee in a box because he wants you to feel all warm and toasty inside. Yeah, makes a man feel good. Of course it does. Why shouldn't it? You figure you put that little box under your pillow at night, the guarantee fairy might come by and leave a quarter. Am I right, Ted? <laughs> What's your point? The point is, how do you know the fairy isn't a crazy glue sniffer? Building model airplanes, says the little fairy. Well, we're not buying it. He sneaks into your house once, that's all it takes. Next thing you know, there's money missing off the dresser and your daughter's knocked up. I've seen it a hundred times. But why do they put a guarantee on the box, then? Because they know all they sold you was a guaranteed piece of shit. That's all it is, isn't it? Hey, if you want me to take a dump in a box and mark it guaranteed, I will. I got spare time. No, I can guarantee you that because I have attained it. In 1995, I was 20 and attending the University of California in San Diego. Though the university was in my hometown, I was forced to live in the school dorms because traveling to or from school without a driver's license was nearly impossible. Whether it was living away from home for the first time, or trying to control my seizures alone, or the fact that I was trying to do all these things that normal college students do, I started to have a run of really severe seizures. When my roommates found me naked at the bottom of a still-running bathroom shower, covered in glass from the shattered sliding glass door, I finally threw in my towel. I dropped out and returned to my mother's home, hat in hand. And for the next four months, the seizures continued and steadily increased in rate. During that time, I was having 8-10 to 10 tonic-clonic seizures every day. At that age, I took about two hours of sleep after each seizure. After one seizure ended, I had just enough time before the next seizure erupted to cram my face full of power bars take my medication, and be helped, really carried, to the bathroom by my younger brother. My body weight went from 165 pounds, or 75 kilos, to a mere 105 pounds, or 48 kilos. With that much muscle mass atrophied, it was impossible for me to walk. I was bed-stricken and in my early 20s. The only thing that kept me going was hope. Hope that beyond the seizures there was a life. After all, I was still young. I kept shooting for my dream of no seizures. Each time I woke up, I instantly worried if I had a seizure during my sleep. When I should have been sleeping, I forced myself to stay awake, stressing that if I did fall asleep, I would seize. I worried about what people thought of me. The neighborhood Boo Radley stuck in my bed, looking out the window to the streets below. I would often lament about the fact that I couldn't do stuff that I would have been able to do before my diagnosis four years earlier. I blamed myself for each new seizure. Maybe it was something I ate, or something I did, or maybe it's something I didn't do. Day after day, I survived one seizure to the next, until one day I made the realization that ultimately freed me from my bed. 
instead of trying to attain the goal of living with no seizures, what if I learned to attain my other goals while having as few seizures as possible? Suddenly, each seizure wasn't the end of the world. I was no longer trying to attain perfection, but instead just getting by. I was no longer constantly looking at my watch, calculating the hours since my last seizure. Each seizure was just merely another bump in the road, a bump to be tallied and analyzed, but not agonized over. I had to stay safe as possible, of course, if that really is a thing. I never missed an appointment with my doctors. I took every scan they ordered. Most of all, I stayed on my medication. All that nonsense I did to fit in with the other university kids that didn't have epilepsy was over. Suddenly, my daily number of seizures started to steadily decrease until it hit a new plateau. If I was going to make further progress, I realized I needed some type of new goal to keep my mind occupied. It was just so difficult for me to not stress over my seizures. If the goal was to keep me interesting, it had to be big. I searched for a long time until one day, sitting in my bed, eating a plateful of eggs, I saw this. He won his first triathlon in 1987, a small race in Bangor, Australia, a beachside Sydney suburb. Now, finally, the show belongs completely to him. A 2.4 mile swim, 112 miles on the bike, a marathon. At long last, Greg Welch has conquered Hawaii. It was perfect. I'll do a triathlon. Ah, you've got to be kidding me. Can you at least be supportive? Don't listen to this guy. Oh, not this again. Will you guys just get off my shoulders? I'm here for you, David. What makes you think you can swim bike and then run? Hey, he's a good swimmer. Or was. You don't even own the bike. I can always go buy one. That's a spirit. Yeah, he can just buy one. And running? <laughs> you can't even walk. I believe in you. You do have a plan, right? Uh, yeah. See? He's got a plan. Don't come crying to me when this whole thing blows up in your faces. Don't you worry. We're going to go cry somewhere else. My plan was simple. Probably too simple to work. I started small. Really small. I mean, I had to, right? Each day, I chose a location that was just a little farther from my bed than I had done before. And it started simply as standing then getting to and from the bathroom by myself. After about four weeks, I made it down the 18 stairs to my front door, and I was off. Surprisingly, the second hurdle I found on the path to finishing my first triathlon came from the members of the epilepsy community. Each one I met told me that my activity was just something that people with epilepsy don't do. When I asked them, why not? I would get the familiar responses. They live with the mindset that I had while I was bed-stricken. Their thoughts were just surviving to the next seizure. They were done with trying to improve their lives. Instead, they were looking for someone, something, anything, to blame. I'll be the first one to admit that epilepsy ruins lives. Over the decades, I've met so many of you that have shown me just that. However, I thought then, as I still do now, that the blame they thickly spread was dangerous. When we start blaming all of our lives' ills on something, it quickly becomes an addiction. I could see that even if these people had become seizure-free, they would have learned to just blame their ills on a new thing. Epilepsy influenced every aspect of my life, but it didn't control it. I was determined to have a life in which it didn't control me. As each person told me of their isolated lives filled with lost educations, broken relationships, and undiscovered opportunities, I became more and more aware of what I was fighting against. It wasn't just for my physical self, but for a mindset that included a real chance at life. 
I took it seriously, but tell you the truth, I was losing. It was hard for me to adapt to the lifestyle required to even reduce the number of my seizures. There was no way I was going to get to be seizure free. Do I really need to sleep 10 hours a day? You mean I can't enjoy one night out with my girlfriend? How am I supposed to know if these f***ing meds are working or not? 20-somethings are supposed to be enjoying their lives, not dealing with a chronic illness. Everyone I talked to, from my doctors to the support groups, suggested that epilepsy could be managed, but mine just couldn't. It was obvious though that I would never get down to zero seizures. I was still experiencing multiple tonic-clonic seizures a week. Each time I asked a question, it was presented by the community that it was not my seizures that were causing the problem, but my exercise schedule. People didn't care to hear that the exercise was actually reducing my number of seizures. It slowly dawned on me there was a small percentage of us that don't necessarily like to see someone else making progress in their fight against epilepsy. It somehow reminds them of their own failure to do so. Rather than confronting their own demons, they are likely to impress their negativity on me. It was so much easier to bring others down than lifting yourself up. The common practice of this small percentage was to present their lifestyle choice as the lifestyle choice for all people with epilepsy. Each one of us needs to adapt to our chronic illness, and they were trying to stem that. Fortunately, through my own seizure journal, I had the data that their lifestyle wasn't correct for me. Epilepsy wasn't even talked about in the media in the 1990s. I had no role models to which I could look up to until one day I heard this story. In 1990, Marion Clignet was on the precipice of greatness after a silver medal finish at the United States National Road Championships. Tonight, behind the seizure, the world would be forever inspired by action Marion and her bicycle. Inspired by a real story and true events. United States Cycling Federation, please hold. She's on again. Oh, tell Miss Clinet I'm not here. I'm very sorry, Marion. Are you sure about this, Director? She was on the podium of the National Road Championships. She's more than earned the right to ride for her country at the Olympic Games in Barcelona. Ah, I'm not going to send some stupid girl to have a seizure on the cycling track. What type of name is Clinet anyway? We can do this. There's no way, kid. Well, fine. What do you mean she's going to be riding for France? Kid, you're a goddamn world champion. On the road, let's see how far we can take this on the track. And in the other semi-final, Jenny Longo. In an all-French semi-final, three times the world champion against Marion Clignet, born in Illinois in the USA, but has joined the French team because of her French parentage. And Longo won't be happy about that because Clignet goes through into the final with the best time of 3 minutes 40.079. So we go to the final, Marianne Clignet in the back straight. Action Marianne Clignet would go on to participate in two Olympic Games for France, in Atlanta in 1996 and Sydney in 2000. She would earn two silver medals.
she would earn a world record. Suddenly, there was somebody who was facing the same problem as me. Action Marion, as she would later become, wasn't just surviving, she was excelling at Olympic level. I placed a picture of Action Marion on my wall and said, if she can do it, I can too. I did my first Olympic distance triathlon the following year. For two more years, I did every race I could, even San Francisco's Alcatraz Triathlon. I, along with a few hundred other people, took a boat ride out to the infamous prison and with proper supervision, jumped off to swim the mile or so back to shore. By the way, there's no sharks in San Francisco Bay. It was an amazing experience that I would never have had if I had adopted the lifestyle that everyone presented was the one correct for me. Each of us must go through the process of adaptation to our condition. It is tough. It is a slog. But there's no way to get around it. Instead of pining for a life that we so-called lost, we must make the decision to move forward with the life we still have. We would love to hear how you have adapted your life since your epilepsy diagnosis. What was your high point, or even your low? How do you get by? We would love to hear any of your comments or questions regarding this or any other episodes. You can reach out to us via email at social at brainandblaze.com or on Twitter at BrainBlaze. If you like this episode, consider subscribing or even helping us out by providing a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your content. And we have a new YouTube channel that you might like. Make sure you subscribe, click the bell icon, so you can get all the videos as we upload them. One small click really does help. See you next time. <laughs>